Welcome, this is episode 76 of the Fit Successful Dad podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Gordon, and welcome to episode 76 of the Fit Successful Dad podcast. I sincerely do appreciate you checking out the show, and if you haven't already, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. That really would mean everything to me. So today's show is about finding positivity in everything, and I'm going to tell two stories. One of them I have sort of told in the past, but I didn't really tell the details as to what came out of that and why I think it's such a positive experience, even though going through these events and through this experience was extremely difficult. And then the second story I'm going to tell was a situation that happened in my family that was not fun for anybody. (laughs) There was no There was no way at the time that anybody going through that experience, myself and a few other people in my family, that uh, there's no way that any of us at the time would have said, wow, this this sucks, but we're all going to be better for it. Or we're going to find some some positivity like as a byproduct of going through this. Nope. Um, But looking back on it years later. I can actually look back and say, wow, this really set the stage for a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now. And it had such a deep impact on me in ways that just changed me as a person completely. Like forget business and hobbies and and things I'm passionate about now and all that. Just it changed the way that I perceive human beings, everybody I meet, every relationship I have, even if it's for five seconds, um, and so I've been able to extract positivity from that because it, it was a learning experience for me. Uh, so I'll tell that in a second. But um, getting into the first story here. So as most of you know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while or if you followed me at all, I grew up, uh, first of all, I grew up in Ohio and I moved to Massachusetts when I was 11. Uh, that was 1996, and by then I had pretty much quit all sports. Uh, the only thing I was interested in was skateboarding. So skateboarding took enough <laughs> and took enough energy to kind of keep me in shape a little bit. Uh, but I was heading down a path already by that point, by 11, 12 years old, 13, that uh, was it, it. It was pretty apparent that it was going to kind of get pretty ugly. Like I was putting on a lot of weight. I was getting pretty chubby. I wasn't really doing a lot, uh, you know, physically I was obviously wasn't playing a sport. Skateboarding is, is cool and everything, but it's really not that much. Uh, not, not what I was doing. I was doing skate park stuff. So like, if you know, skateboarding at all, it's just like, you know, going off a ramp and trying to do like a kickflip, you know, (laughs) pretty basic stuff. Um, got to have a little bit of ups, but it's, it's no more intense than like backyard pickup basketball or something. So, so that's what I was doing. And the problem was, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, when I started to put on a lot of weight, I had serious confidence issues. Uh, 
the mental toll, if you've never been overweight, the mental toll that that can take on you, and I'm not saying everybody goes through this, but I definitely did, and I know a lot of people who are overweight or have been overweight experience this at that point in time. Uh, the mental toll that it can take on you is very significant. It obviously leads to depression in a lot of people. Uh, I won't say that I was over-the-top depressed, but I certainly was depressed. You know, I had friends at school, and by friends, I mean people who I would, like, talk to in the hallway and stuff that were in really good shape. You know, I always had this mental image thing. Uh, so they were in really good shape, and they could go outside and, you know, they could run really fast, and they could they could hang in a game of pickup basketball or pickup football or something, and um, I, I never could. So by that point, you know, I was overweight, I was slow, um, and the only... Like all, all the, all the stuff you hear about with people who are on their way to and becoming obese, uh, all the, you know, I was starting to experience those things, which was, I found comfort in food. I found comfort in candy, soda, you know, junk. And I found comfort in wearing baggy clothes where I felt like I was being sheltered and hidden. And also I found comfort in being alone or being around other people who were in that same situation. So I was comfortable at home like with my family and I was comfortable around my very small group of friends who were in that same situation. And I became an introvert as a result and not the type of introvert that can actually get into a room and start talking. <laughs> I was an introvert, uh, to the point where I would, you know, like I would avoid conversation. I would look down passing someone in the hallway at school. I would talk to my teacher about not being picked for certain in class things where I had to stand up and talk. Um, and uh, the problem is a lot of those people enabled me by, by allowing me to, to do those things or not do those things. So by allowing me to, to sit back and just be alone and quiet and, um, that compounded on itself month after month after month, uh, for a few years until I really had no confidence whatsoever and I hated everything about confrontation, even pleasant confrontation, even interaction with people. I hated it. I remember my, when we moved to Massachusetts, my cousins came from Ohio to visit, and I was nervous to talk to them because I knew that I had gotten bigger and put in, I had put on weight since the last time I saw them. And these are my cousins. These are people I grew up with, my family, and I was nervous about being around them. And, uh, <laughs> I remember one of my older cousins, uh, who's a girl, she, like we were goofing around and, and she started tickling me and I got so embarrassed because she like tickled me on my, the side of my belly, you know, where, where I was, I was obviously fat. So, uh, just the fact that she was like, I don't know, like making contact with me just made me so uncomfortable. It's just like, I don't know. The whole thing just was, was not fun. Uh, so I, I totally feel for people in that situation, but here's the thing by me being in that mindset, you know, introverted, quiet, even though I was actually very articulate and I could speak well, and I was really strong in English, uh, like English cl classes. And, uh, when I did have to give a presentation, once I got going, I was actually pretty good at it, but because I was so reserved that led me totally inadvertently that led me to connecting with other introverted, quiet people. As a result of that, 
I had a really close friend when I was 14, 15, 16 years old. His name was Brian. We haven't talked in a long time, but uh, Brian and I were really close friends. And Brian's sister was friends with somebody. And, you know, as it all happened, we ended up all out together one night and there was a girl there that I never met. Uh, and she was super quiet and I was super quiet. And then eventually somehow through the night, we ended up kind of getting like closer and started talking a little bit. And we had similarities across the board. The difference <laughs> is that she was like five, four and 105 pounds or something like she was tiny. And here I was five, nine or something and like almost 200 pounds, you know? Um, so polar opposites in that regard, but our, our, our personalities clicked very well. There was chemistry there and fast forward a few years, we dated, then we got engaged and now she's my wife. So she's known me since I was that kid. Uh, it was official when I was 16, 16 years ago. I'm 32 now. And the thing that I experienced at that point in time in my life, which was being fat, overweight, extremely unhealthy, getting getting kind of explained to by my doctor that, yes, I'm healthy now, meaning my heart is still beating <laughs> and my blood pressure is still good, but my habits were not good and they were going to lead to a lifetime of, um, health issues and, uh, other things that would just continue to compound over time and, uh, really turn into like serious problems. So, you know, that, that was something that I was just acutely aware of at the time. And I hated every second of it. And I hated the way I felt and I hated the way I looked and I hated feeling so sorry for myself constantly. And I hated feeling like, in my head, I made up the story like nobody liked me because I was overweight and I couldn't run fast and I couldn't jump high and I couldn't play sports and all this stuff. Um, but because of those traits, that's one of the things that my now wife was attracted to. She was attracted to the fact that I was quiet, not that I was depressed or hated myself. She was attracted to the fact that I was a little introverted and I was a little quiet. But when I got to talking, I could actually speak. I believe that most introverts are in that same situation. They're extremely uncomfortable. And then when they start talking and the ice is broken a little bit, they can hold a conversation because ultimately they realize that it's really just like having a conversation with somebody at home. You just have to break the ice. It's that moment before that is so difficult. Like that's one of the characteristics of being very, very introverted. Um, and I've worked a lot since that time to break out of that and become more outspoken. And that's one of the reasons why I love doing a podcast now, because it is 100% the opposite of what I would have wanted to do when I was in that situation. So it's kind of a testament to myself that I have beat down that old mentality of I'm overweight, nobody likes me. I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm depressed, blah, 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 feeling sorry for myself. And 
you know, I, I was able to find my soulmate as a result of that. And now I'm no longer experiencing obviously being overweight and being unhealthy and having all of these issues where I'm breaking myself down mentally, self-imposed because I feel sorry for myself and I feel depressed. Uh, I was kind of able to, to beat my way out of that. And so I don't know that that ever would have happened. Honestly, if I didn't find somebody that shared my same introvert type personality and I was able to use that, I didn't even know this was happening, but I was able to use that as an opportunity and as almost a reason to lift myself up and kind of work my way out of that. It took a few years, but she was the motivation and I didn't, I didn't even realize it at the time, but she was the motivation. You know, she was naturally thin and <laughs> yeah, like I said earlier, body image was a big thing for me. That, that was the source of a lot of my problems. Uh, but I was able to work my way out of that. And then as I worked my way out of that, I gained confidence. And then as I gained confidence, I had more drive to keep myself going and keep correcting the things that had gone wrong earlier and fix my weight issues. And then confidence would keep continue to build and over and over and over again, this cycle happened over and over and over again until all of a sudden, wow, I, I have confidence in myself to go off to college and get an engineering degree. That's something I didn't believe I could do when I was younger. Uh, but I went and did that. And then I lost 80, 85 pounds and then I went on and got another degree. I just, I did all these things that might not even look like much to anybody. They were big to me and there were things that I didn't think I could ever do, but they, I believe that a lot of them happened as a result of experiencing a really, really difficult period of time as a young man. Now, a lot of people experience these types of things like being overweight or having self-image issues or having like an eating disorder like that can happen at any period of someone's life. It can happen when they're an adult. Uh, but my point is that there is a chance for positivity to filter through as a result of going through that. And it's really hard to think that way when you're in the middle of it but it's absolutely true. And this is the point where I'm going to segue into another story that I don't think I've ever told publicly, not just on a podcast, but I don't think I've really ever told anybody except a very small circle of friends. In August of 2011, uh, August 27th to be exact, my wife gave birth to my son and his name is Hunter. And my wife and I planned this child. This was not an accident. It was absolutely planned. And we were so excited. <laughs> uh, before we had a kid, my wife wanted four kids and I wanted two, maybe three. We wanted a big family. Well, on August 27th, my son was born. And that first 24 hours after you have a child, there's a lot of things that have to happen. The baby has to go in and out of the little tanning bed there and the doctors have to keep checking up every few hours. And, um, 
you know, that's fine. Everything was normal chaos, <laughs> normal chaos, uh, after having a baby. Uh, but then the second day came and my wife just wasn't feeling right. And, um, somewhere in that period of time, I changed my son's first diaper and I was, um, kind of facilitating a lot of the feeding. Uh, obviously I couldn't feed a baby, right. But I could kind of talk my wife into it and kind of just facilitate the whole process. Um, and then I started to realize that she just wasn't really interested in the whole thing. But then she'd have moments where she was like five minutes here and there. Um, and then the next day, so the third day at this point, um, she started to experience what looked like, like, uh, almost convulsions. She was convulsing a little bit, like physically shaking, breaking down, crying, wanting nothing to do with Hunter, wanting nothing to do with having to feed him. And then it all kind of started to click a little bit more than maybe she's got, you know, what we would call the baby blues, um, which is essentially just like a mild, mild, mild case of postpartum depression, which is kind of normal. So we ended up staying in the hospital another night. So we were there for four days, which is extremely long for having a child. It's usually two, maybe three tops. Um, so we were there an extra night and we left on that fourth day and my wife thought she just had to get out of the hospital. And that was the problem. She just couldn't take being in the hospital anymore and had to get back to our home and get into like a normal sort of cycle, like, you know, pattern, rhythm, whatever. Well, Hurricane Irene had swept over New England while my son was being born. And as a result, a massive oak tree took down uh, a power line in our neighborhood. So we had no power. But my in-laws, who live a few miles away, had power. So we couldn't move back into our house. We had to move into my in-laws' house. And that in itself was cool, except her symptoms, my wife's symptoms, got worse and worse and worse. Not by the day, not by the week, but by the hour. It got so bad uh, after we moved home that we had to go see a doctor right away and sit down with them and try to figure out what the hell was going on. Um, that doctor who was an OB turned into a psychologist and that psychologist sit down turned into a series of testing medications and that turned into a series of sit downs with that psychologist over a period of months. And there was a substantial amount of effort and work that went into trying to get the medication just right and also allowing time to be a factor and also meeting in support groups. And I'm seriously underselling the, <laughs> the severity of this because there was nothing easy about it. Now, it's bad enough for her, my wife, that she had to go through these things and I had to drive her a lot or my father-in-law would take her. I think by the end of it, she was taking herself a little bit. But the significant part of this is that she didn't want to be around her son. Now, my wife, since I met her, I was 16. 
she had always wanted to be a mom. She had always wanted a family. That's something that was very important to her. She has uh, three sisters and a brother. So she's from a family of five and she's got tons of cousins and that whole family is super close. Like they click really, really, really well. They're all very tight, which is a contrast to how I grew up. And even though I was lived with my sisters and we were close and everything, we weren't nearly as close as my wife was with her siblings. Um, just the fact of the matter. So at this point, you know, it's tragic for me. I'm watching my best friend, my wife, who just gave birth to my son, want nothing to do with him. And if you've experienced this, then you know what I'm talking about. So I went straight from never having parenting experience to being essentially a single dad and not just a single dad, but a single dad of a newborn. So I changed all his first diapers. I was the one to put him down a lot uh, for naps, for bed at night, even though there really was no bed. Obviously, my wife in her state, she couldn't feed naturally, so we had to switch to bottles right away. Uh, I was making and giving those bottles to Hunter every few hours. Uh, I was doing everything straight up. So I had some local family help out uh, for a little while and that was great and that was awesome Um, but nothing can take away from the fact that my wife wanted nothing to do with our son and she she knew it then and she would have moments and this I guess this is characteristic of postpartum depression but she would have moments where she would want to be with him a little bit not a lot a little bit so she would hold him for a half hour and read him a book or i think she started to give him bottles after a few weeks like here and there um now why am i telling you this story it sucked the whole thing sucked and at the time i remember saying out loud i don't really wish this on anybody like this is horrible and there is nothing to learn from this other than it sucks and no one should go through it but here's the thing i'm looking back on it now and i'm looking for positive things i can extract from it and one of those things is that i had all that initial bonding time with my son and it was very special I mean, I was so close with him and I went and straight up played the Papa Bear, Mama Bear roles together by myself. And I just remember how special it was that I was there to take care of him. And that if she, you know, she was not capable of it because of the things she was going through, then I would make up for it as best I could. He was a newborn. He didn't know or understand because he's a newborn, but that's how it happened. I was there and I did everything and I was, I felt blessed that I had the opportunity to do that. It also led me to realize what being a man is all about. And I don't consider myself the most masculine person in the world or even like, you know, the most manly guy or anything, but I do know this. 
I know this because I've seen the opposite and I've lived through what I lived through. And I've also seen shades of gray in between. And I've learned that what makes a man a man is essentially putting others first. Sacrifice. Taking care of those that need to be taken care of. Uh, That's something that I've been thinking about for the last five or six years, ever since it started happening, is that, you know, because people would come up to me and tell me, oh, I'm sorry you're going through this and you know, but you're a really good man. You're a really good guy. You're a really good dude. Um, you know, that's, it's amazing that you're there to take care of your family or whatever. And to me, it just felt like the thing that I just had to do. But what I've learned is that I had never experienced prior to that, uh, a situation that required me to really step up and be a man. And that was a situation that required me to do that. I had to step up and I had to be a man. And there was a lot of growing up that I did from August 27th, 2011 to September 27th, 2011. And then a lot more growing up from September 27th to October 27th. And then November and then December. Those first few months were extremely difficult. You hear about all the sleepless nights that parents have when their kid won't sleep or whatever. And they're giving them bottles and they're getting up every two or three hours. Well... I can't sympathize with that really because my sleepless nights were continuous and it wasn't just because my baby was hungry. It was because I was living as a single dad and that is just the reality. So I'm not trying to draw sympathy out of anybody, but that was the real situation. And what was really going on, because I don't think I really said it, is basically worst case scenario, postpartum depression. And some of the things that my wife would say were things like, I just want to pack my bag and take a train and never come back. I think that we should give Hunter up to somebody who will really take care of them. And you and I could just leave. Or she would say things like, I think it'd be probably not a bad thing if I got hit by a car and died today. Or If I fell asleep right now and never woke up, I think that that would probably be best. You know, things like that. Not quite suicidal, but obviously right on that edge. And she went on to to get past it. Uh, It is something that people can get past. That's a conversation for another day because I know there's a lot of people that feel helpless in situations like this. And I'm here to tell you that it is absolutely something that you can get past. It's really about understanding what's really going on and then really sitting down and drilling into the problem with a psychiatrist and a psychologist and finding the right medication and really trying to understand what your brain is doing because clinical depression like that, even postpartum depression, that is something that is the result of a chemical issue in your brain and it doesn't mean that someone is soft. It doesn't mean that someone can't take it, quote unquote, or can't handle it, quote unquote. It is a real problem. And after, at this point, six years of dealing with this off and on and just learning more and more about it, I have realized that for all of our medical technology and all of our medical advancement in not just the country, but the world, 
we don't know anything about the human brain, really, and how the human brain, especially the emotional component, really works. I firmly believe that. I think we have a good idea of how to treat the things that we know about, but all of the little side variations of the things we know about are such a mystery that no one really knows how to handle it. Okay, but anyway, so postpartum depression has led to me understanding what it really takes to be a man. Okay, Uh, I really do feel that. And ultimately, this led to me realizing, this is is another positive takeaway, it led to me realizing what my what I believe to be my real mission. Okay. So mental health has been such a critical part of my life, not just with my wife, but with others in my family as well, that I, and because of, because I now understand just how little humans understand the brain and all the mental health issues that are going on. uh, My mission has completely shifted to addressing that, which is what I want to do. Ultimately, that's what I want to do. I want to be involved in and address as best I can contribute to the understanding and the development of technology and the development of cures and the development of treatments for mental health, um, specifically things like depression self-image awareness, and more specifically than that, I want to dive deep into the youth community and try to do some good amongst the youth community in the United States and around the world if possible as far as the mental health issues that are plaguing kids and the extremely unfortunate suicides at a young age and all the horrible things that happen to kids as a result of feeling depressed and feeling down on themselves and not feeling accepted. And, uh, that's a pretty sensitive subject of mine that has become more or less the core mission of mine. Uh, there are ways that I think physical strength can combat that a little bit. And I want to tie those two together Uh, But I don't think I would have cared about that as much or felt as passionate about it if I didn't experience what I experienced. I mean, I had my own set of issues when I was a kid and I had my own what I'm going to call depression because there were definitely days where I thought it was okay to think that I could die or go away and that would be better than being there. Uh, But it was never as serious as what my wife experienced. And the fact that she did experience that just reopened my eyes a second time. And I was appalled to find out just how little these top-notch doctors in the industry really knew about the situation. And that's a problem. And the other problem is that depression is considered something that only weak people experience. Obviously not everybody thinks that, but the more you talk about things like panic attacks or panic disorder or anxiety attacks, anxiety disorder, depression, 
the, the more you talk about those things, the more you th- find out just how not serious most people think that is, which is bullshit. So I have taken it upon myself to try and get involved in those things. None of that would have been possible if I didn't experience these things. So look, the takeaway of this whole thing is that positivity is absolutely everywhere. And no matter how bad things get, and no matter how much you think that what you're going through is the hardest thing and that no one can relate to you and that you'll never get through it and that things will never get better, all you really need to do, and this is much easier to say than do, but I promise, all you need to do is just like really dig deep, open your eyes, and you will see that there is the opportunity of something positive happening as a result of that. There is always a flip side. And I I know it's cliche to say there's a flip side, sunny side up, right? <laughs> Glass half full. Um, it's really hard to say that when you're going through something like this where you're alone, like literally alone, and the person who should be helping you with something is off in their own little corner completely unresponsive and ignoring you you know i get it Uh, but there is a silver lining it's just really hard to see sometimes all right and stuff like this that happens is not there to prevent you from achieving what you want to achieve so in my case i was able to use this stuff these situations that were awful at the time to almost i was able to use them as catalysts for some of the things I'm doing now, which is crazy. Looking back, I obviously never would have thought that. And even now today, I'm, I'm tracing it all back to that because that is really how it all started. And it's, it's absolutely the vehicle that got me from those horrible scenarios to doing what I'm doing now. And no matter how bad things get, you are never not capable of achieving your dreams. So just remember, no matter how bad things get, no matter how bad things seem for you or for somebody close to you or whatever, you are never not capable of finding positivity in that. You are also never not capable of achieving your dreams. (laughs) 